Hello, everybody. Here I'm there to talk about Anchor. It's one of the best podcast uh, platforms that you can you can uh, go on. You can put all your podcasts on Apple, Google, any place. Any place to put up your podcast, you could all do it in one place. Anchor has all the tools to allow you to record and edit your podcast right from the phone or computer. And you can distribute any of your, your podcasts on any platform like Apple, Spotify, Anchor, you know, Anchor, Stitcher, iHeart, everything. It's everything you need you need to make a podcast in one place. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. And let me tell you, I have had great experience with Anchor. Download the Anchor app or go to Anchor FM to get started today. That is Anchor FM to get started today. Welcome to Cindy and Joe's show. I'm Joe. I'm Cindy. No one cares who you are, Cindy. Everyone cares, Joe, because we are your hometown team. Now, as we start, obviously every week we talk about the Red Wings, Lions, all of the all that nonsense, you know. Is it nonsense? <laughs> Not really. But I think we have to get you in a jumping mood because you're a little bit lackadaisical today. I've been a little bit busy, Joe. I'm just a little bit tired, and I'm just asking for a little bit of latitude. I'll be there. I'll be there. Because, you know, I get excited when we start talking about my Red Wings. You know I love them, and I'm very excited about where the Lions are going. We're going to talk about that. What else we got on tap for this? I think you got a surprise for me this week, don't you? He wouldn't tell me. We are going with the surprise story first. Oh, surprise story. We're not going to make anyone wait for it. And I'll tell you. Everyone, it's going to be a surprise to me, too. Joe refused to tell me. So, I refused to great... tell her because I wanted your honest, raw reaction. <laughs> Uh-oh. Now, when I say that, you know, you're a, you're a famous political person, you are very, very <laughs> enriched in the whole uh, famous people. You've met famous people. You've seen famous people. You, you get the point. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> Now, if I told you that there was a guy yeah, who is a rapper, uh-huh. he's a very, very prominent rapper, his name is Drake. Okay. He was banging an Instagram model. Like he was running into her from time to time? <laughs> he, was, he, was having the rela- I, he was having the relations. The, uh, I see, I see. He I was see. taking the paint off the wall, if you know what I'm saying. I see. I Thank you for clarifying that. I just needed to know. I need the parameters. No, this isn't okay. like Kodak Black who had sex at a Florida Panthers game. That's not, that's not, that's, that's a totally uh, different uh, okay. situation. Okay. Yeah, that actually happened. Next to the Panthers front office. Isn't that funny? Next to the Panthers front office, there was someone get, getting busy? Oh, yeah. We, I got to show you this video. Oh, okay. good so, lord. Yeah, <laughs> so... Drake once had a a, ba- a kid out of wetlock uh, because the uh, lady took the you know she took the uh, condom and uh, took the DNA and uh, inserted it in a certain category. Okay, I, I I see. So you're saying that she she without his knowledge yep. obtained his genetics, his sperm sample. Yep. Yes, and and utilized that to facilitate the birth of a child. Yeah, so she I can uh, she can rein in the pain, you know. I understand. You see how diplomatically I put that. That was you know, great. That was, that was great. That was great. So now, when you're rich and famous, you know you got to be used to that. So Drake came up with his own thing, and so he was he was in relations with that Instagram model. Mm-hmm. Afterwards, you know, he went to the bathroom. He put hot sauce in the condom that he was using. 
This was in the story? This yeah. was in the news this, story? This is a real story. This is a very real story. I think I need a source on this. This is literally real. So, he gives, he, he puts it in the garbage. She goes in the bathroom. She inserts that into her... Oh, ouch. Area. Um, ouch. Very, very, you know, private area. And, uh, yeah. Is that, like, the most ballsy move as, like, a public figure? Is, like, like you are, you know that some chick is going to just want to, like, have your kid so that you can, like, she can have your money, too? So he puts hot sauce in a condom, knowing that if someone puts it in there, uh, yeah, ouch. Yeah, yeah, that's not gonna be. They're gonna be on the pain train. <laughs> that, that ain't gonna be fun. Um, well, <laughs> I, I have to say it's a creative solution on his part. I uh, I would never have thought of it. I, I, um, I didn't. I didn't. I, no one thought of this. Like this I, is this is revolutionary. That's it made the Twitter. <laughs> it made the. It made the rounds on Twitter. There, there was a couple of comments I have. The cesspool that Twitter is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you sometimes get good ones like like this one from a guy named Beaver Ham. <laughs> that's not real. Get out that's, of that's, here. That's a real. That's a real. That's a real one. Oh, Beaver Ham. He says Drake was ahead of the game before the game. <laughs> I see. Okay. Well. Uh, I would say a creative solution to a to a uh, an ages long problem. Um, you know, it's interesting. I've had some very candid conversations with a number of uh, current and former pro- professional athletes, and as you said, you know, I've had the occasion to uh, have conversations, and some of them are friends of mine, and so forth. And um, you know, and people, other prominent individuals who others might try to some sort of tactic like that. And um, the the reality is that that is one of the things that when you join the professional ranks of of athletics is they do caution you against and you are counseled by the team and by their consultancies uh, on how to avoid that and uh, the tag proper tactics to take. So they actually do in the professional athletic ranks um, give their newbies coming in their rookies coming in to that environment, some advice in this area. I, I'm not sure they ever advised that. No, no. I don't think so. No, no. Uh, I've never heard that but before. That, that is revolutionary. But and if she does try to do it, you'll know. Well, <laughs> <laughs> but how, how unfortunate is it? You know what I mean? That there are people that have this sort of agenda. I mean, it's, it's terribly unfortunate. I, I don't understand women and I'm speaking from a woman's perspective. Okay. I, I think it's very, it's a sad commentary on my gender, uh, that there are some that feel in order to acquire any type of prominence or any type of, um, financial gain that you're going to use a child a child as a partnership to, to do that, I think, is incredibly distasteful. Not just distasteful; it's it's downright unethical, and it shows a lack of character that I don't care to acknowledge in my own gender. But nonetheless, it's there, and I gotta tell you, these people just aren't rap real tight. No, they, just, either that or they're diabolical. No, they're either crazy or or they're sinisterly calculated. Incredibly smart. I'm not sure which, but either way, not the kind of person. Here's the kicker: be careful who you associate with, gentlemen and yeah. ladies. Be careful who you associate with, 
because there are people out there that have these kind of ulterior motives and uh, it's not good. You see it all the time. Now, yeah. there's a kicker to the story. Oh, God. Now she is... It gets, it gets more kicking than hot sauce? <laughs> you get more kicking than I that. mean, if I was Frank's Red Hot right now, I'd be, I'd be signing the... Drink. Get a sponsorship from drink. the guy. That's <laughs> yeah. right. Yeah. Sponsor I'd be like, listen, you put that shit in on everything. Literally everything. <laughs> But the kicker, the kicker oh, to this, boy. the kicker to this is, she's suing Drake for that. On what grounds? Now, if you were the judge, because like, <laughs> you're a professional, you know, you're, you're you you are uh, oh boy, you are Clerk Barry, you know. If someone came in your court and this was the court case, mm-hmm. what would you say? I, I, you know, I <laughs> I'm speechless. I I. I guess it would depend on who the so she would bring suit and I, and I would have to say well make sure not to order room service beforehand so there's no hot sauce available I don't know do it better next time uh, perhaps uh, I don't know um, yeah she goes why is there hot sauce in the bathroom that's not your business to keep, keep my <laughs> you know it's interesting you know what what uh, back in the day uh, what the advice was and I had a very kind of candid conversation about this and back in the day I was told, that uh, they would provide players, this was a former player now sharing the story with me, that uh, they would be provided with uh, essentially morning after pills way back in the day before those were really a thing. Um, They had these things and they would be given the morning after pills to hold on to for this purpose. So of course, you know, the the preventative measures, but if that didn't work and the heat of the moment took you or the alcohol overrode your better judgment, um, then the next, then, then what you would do is you would um, you know, give the pill to the young lady uh, as you know as soon as you came to, and um, you know she would take it. And what I, I said, you're, I was absolutely flabbergasted that they did this. This was common practice. This is what they were advised to do, and even provided with these medications, yeah, by their team or whoever their team, whoever gave it to them in, in their organization. And then what was even more shocking? There's more shocking. There can't be more shocking than morning after pills. What was more shocking was that the frequent flyers, let's call them, the ladies oh, who were the frequent you mean, flyers, you mean, you mean no, you who mean, knew the who knew you mean the puck bunnies. The the in this case it happened to be hockey, yes. Yeah. But this was the case across all sports. So whatever you call the, the sports groupies, yeah. the regular gals who this was their The ball thing, jumpers. <laughs> whatever you want to call them, um, would even ask for it. They knew to ask for it. If the player forgot to give it to them, they knew enough to ask for it. You imagine you have a daughter. Can and, you believe that? You imagine having a daughter and that was that's her claim to fame. How unfortunate. That would be... I'd How unfortunate. Be, I'd be like, God, I failed as a parent. Like, oh my God. Yeah, right. Like, that's your thing? Um, yeah, terribly unfortunate. Yeah, so no, this kind of stuff has been around in, in professional sports for a long time. They've been dealing with it. Um, and it, it, never, it never ceases to amaze me to what extent people will go, and in this case a woman, but what extent they will go to try to get close to or take a piece from a famous person uh, who they perceive to be famous. Why not? It's insane. Why don't people just simply attempt to 
why don't they put the effort into gaining their own success and their own credibility and their own um, sense of accomplishment? Why do they have to try to, you know, scam it off? You know, you know, this whole, I don't get that. You know what it is. It's to go on social media. No, I'm dead serious when I say this. Bragging rights. Go on social media. Oh, look. I got a Rolls Royce. Oh, I got a Mercedes Benz. That, that, the daddy bought it for me. You know, daddy bought it for me. I'm like, now this one gets to go on and say, "I got a red hot baby." <laughs> you imagine, you imagine if, if 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 that kid actually came out of you know of, of the red hot sauce and everything. You gotta name that kid Frank. <laughs> <laughs> and he got and he. I bet you he comes out like this. Hey guys, hey. Oh my lord. Oh my gosh. Um, you, might as well, you might as well call it baby Hercules over there. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you what, if, if, if that is proof right there that there is a God, Joe, and that miracles do happen. If a baby were to come out of that scenario, that has got to be the, the, the hand you, of God you, there. You, you There's imagine, no other you imagine way to explain 20 it. years from now, explain to your kid how you were conceived. <laughs> we'll see, son. Uh, 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 I was... I, had relations with, you know, a famous rapper, and you might know him, you know, you hear his songs sometimes, and uh, he put red hot sauce, you were conceived in red hot sauce. Wait, what? (laughs) Well, that would be an interesting conversation, one I'm glad that neither one of us have to have, Um, but uh, yeah, crazy, you know what, the world's just gone crazy, Joe, that's all there is to it. I thought I'd have to liven it up a little bit, you know, Uh, uh, Well, because, you know, we deal with a lot of bull crap in our daily life, so I thought, let's go even more bull crap and let's go full fledged. <laughs> when you think you've heard the most extreme, no, tune in to Between the Whistles, the Cindy and Joe show, and we will have even more See, extreme this, this, for this you. This is one story that I was like, I have to get Cindy's raw reaction because last time we had, I gave you the raw reaction, <laughs> you were. You were laughing about General Booty, the quarterback. <laughs> I still that, cra- that cracks me up every time. The quarterback, General Booty. I that's... the punter, Thurman S. Pounder. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, do you want to know? I got one. This is not sports, but one of my favorite doctors, my, one of my obstetricians for one of my kids, his name was Doctor Utter. Oh boy! <laughs> it's true. Oh boy! You imagine going through life like that? Like your name, your name is like. He's a fabulous doctor, by the way, Doc. You know I love you. Now there, there was a kid I went to high school with uh, for a very, very short time. His last name was spelled in a certain uh, lady part that you know is very uh, active. Um. <laughs> Was, I don't know what that means, and I don't think we need to expound no, on no, it at no. this time. But it was, you know, it was identically said the same way, like, you know. Oh, my. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was okay. uh, It was pretty, uh, I was like, god damn, like, you imagine, you imagine having your kid go through life, and his name is a woman body part? <laughs> like, it's like, it's like, god, like. I just feel bad. Imagine a guy named after a guy's part. Like what? <laughs> well, there is, and and it's short for Richard. <laughs> <laughs> we 
better reel this back in. Let's get back to talking sports. I think it's time to wrap it up. Go to our next segment. Join us for that. In the next segment, we will actually be talking sports. We'll be talking the Red Wings. And what there's a lot to get into. We have to get into it. And we will get into it in the next segment. See you then. See you then. And stay away from the hot sauce. Come back. Welcome to Cindy and Joe show. I'm Joe. I'm Cindy. It's November rain because, you know, baseball is locked out because they're a bunch of greedy bastards. <laughs> well, I wouldn't exactly put it that way. But I'll tell you, you know, Major League Baseball and the Players Association had a meeting um, or they're, they met today, actually, and um, for the first time like since last year. But nothing got accomplished. Well, but you know what? That wasn't the goal, actually. The goal was just to restart conversations. You know, Joe, and I've been, a, uh, you know, subject to numerous negotiations in a leadership capacity, mm-hmm. and I think you have too, maybe. And, um, oh, God. wow, wow, the cat just jumped into a box and made a lot of noise. <laughs> okay. Um, he's got, he, he's, he's more active than Major League Baseball and negotiations. Yes, he is. He's making more noise than MLB owners are, according to the players. So, Mm -hmm. but here's the thing. So, when talks break down, you need to kind of schmooze it a little bit. You need to kind of, you know, take a little lighter approach. You don't want to go back in there with the hammer when after you've gotten done beating the crap out of each other. You want to go back and kind of, you know, massage it a little bit. And I think that's what today was about. But, uh, you know, if you look at what the players and what the MLB are, the owners are kind of going back and forth over, it's really all economics. I mean, there's a couple of non-economic mm-hmm. issues, but, um, you know, they just wanted to take a few of the lighter note things to talk about today. Yeah. And I think what the best thing we can hope for as baseball fans coming out of today is that we see progress progression in the talks. Yeah. Yeah, that they're going to progress and then they're going to start talking about now in their next meeting some more substantive issues. Yeah. That will get us closer to opening day because you know what? Here's I got to tell you. I was really looking forward to spring training starting because uh, I have a close family member of mine who just moved down to right outside of the Toronto, I think it's Toronto Blue Jays uh, training facility. Oh, I think nice. that's who it is. Yeah. And I was looking forward to visiting down very there. Very nice man. Yeah, very nice man. Yeah. I'll, you know, And I was going to go and visit and uh, be able to kind of get some footage and maybe do some things for the show with regards to spring training and maybe get a get a couple of that ex- those exclusive little bites that we tend to get here on Between the Whistles Detroit. And, yeah. um, but, but now... That is in jeopardy. And you know what? My trips to Florida and excuses to have them and go see baseball is now in jeopardy. And I don't like that. So I think I should make a plea to the owners association and the players and say, if for no other reason, guys, let's get this together so Cindy has a reason to come down to Florida. So Cindy has a... I have selfish reasons. Do you think, Joe, if I make a personal appeal and tell them how much I miss baseball and how much I miss Florida, uh, do you think that that's going to convince them to take the next step? No, because <laughs> that won't work. Huh? Here's my here's my uh, my little cortida. You know, I just I think that Major League Baseball is heading down a really really dark path, similar to what the NHL found out when they went on their lockouts, you know? 
Like, you could think that your game will survive the lockout. There's only two sports where you can survive the lockout. It's because they really do have a stranglehold because of the entertainment value that you get week in, week out. And even in the offseason, you get entertainment with uh, the basketball, NBA and the NFL. They are very, very top two sports right now because they are entertaining and they keep people in tune with it every month. Even during the offseason, there's always something going on. Something that's happening. In baseball, they have a really big problem with... Um, like, okay, when I tell you that there are seven teams that have a payroll less than what Miguel Cabrera makes, there's a problem. There's a big problem with the owners not spending the money, and they're they're basically lame duck franchises. Yeah. Like if it like like imagine like you're you're it's it's not possible to compete with the guy, with the teams like the Yankees, okay? Or the Dodgers in comparison to money, okay? But like, there's a small market franchise in Tampa Bay that does a very, very good job of finding talent, they're drafting, developing, all that stuff, and they pay. They'll pay. They they will pay their players, but they don't go overboard, you know, because they always have players that they can bring back in. Some of these franchises, they've been so bad for so long, like the Pittsburgh Pirates, right? Yeah, been bad for so long, and their owner is notoriously cheap. The Cleveland Indians, they had some runs, but their owner is notoriously cheap. Well, you get what you pay for, and also, you can see teams that have made investments yeah. that, you know, when you make the, a smart investment, now, not if you make foolish investments, whether it's in players or whether it's in development or, or whatever, what have you, when you make a smart investment, that investment's going to pay off. And these owners are not stupid guys, okay? They're, they're multi-millionaires, if not billionaires in other industries, they know this, but they also know the Donald Trump approach to negotiations, and that's, I think, what they're going in with right now, and that's why expectations weren't high, and that's why players are saying they're disappointed or through their union saying they're disappointed, but mm-hmm. they weren't expecting much because the Donald Trump approach to negotiations is you go in there with an a wildly unbelievable ask, okay? And to be honest with you, I don't think the owner's ask was that much. They're really not that far apart when you look at their um, what they're looking at side by side. Um, I think there's certainly room to move in, and that's how you know you've got this, some good foundations for good negotiations. Um, you know, for example, the owners are looking for a you know 14 team um, you know extended postseason, and you've got the players they want to 12 teams. Okay, there's not a there's not a whole lot of difference there. I think it's easy to make up that. Um, make up that difference. Uh, you know, they're looking for, you know, the uh, owners are looking for a gradual um, increase to the the uh, salary, um, the luxury tax, and the players want it right now. Uh, you know, they want that cap raised immediately. Uh, the ownership wants it gradually. They're both acknowledging, for example, that those two, those two things need to be addressed. Now it's just a matter of finding some common, reasonable ground that both sides can live with. But the owners are going to come in with an unbelievable ask. And um, that's, that, that's par for the course in negotiation. So now let's see where it goes from there. But you struck on a good point, Joe, and that is, uh, it, or we talked about this pre-show as well, 
lot pro, protracted lockouts okay long-term lockouts are not good for anybody the nhl has learned this and mlb can look at the nhl and learn a lesson there when your fan base starts to look for other alternatives the longer they look for those alternatives they're going to find them mm-hmm. and once they do it's really really hard to it's get them back hard to get them back yeah. that's right and then you're spending more money to get that fan base re-engaged with your product and if you don't think the mlb owners know this they do and the players it hasn't been lost on either so if the if both sides can agree to at least that i think you're going to see a, a reasonable resolution sooner rather than later and that helps all of us who are ready to see the first pitch because that means warm weather. I doubt we'll see the first pitch. Oh, come on, Joe. You're now you're going negative Nelly on no, me. No, I'm, I'm being serious. Yeah. I'm being serious because you're negative. I, I do think you know, when last year when COVID when uh the year before when COVID happened, the major league baseball could have been the first sport to get out of the pandemic, right? They could have been the first sport to be played on TV get an audience because most of the people were home because of the pandemic and the, the COVID and all that stuff. And they fought and they bickered for like almost three months straight on s- salaries and all this junk. The reality of the situation is they could have been seen in front of so many people that might not like baseball, that might not watch baseball like you and me do. Right. But they didn't. They didn't take the chance because they were busy fighting amongst themselves. It's like you have kids. It's like when you have kids, right? And they just bicker back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and, and they're doing it for an hour. And you're like, you know, if you would have just cleaned the goddamn house, <laughs> it would have been fine. It would have been over with by now. Right. Since you together. Bick- since you bickered for about an hour, it ain't working. Now, now you spent two hours instead of an hour that you could have... You could have been outside playing. You could have right. been doing whatever you want to do with your friends. My kids haven't played outside in a really long time because they're all grown. Yeah. But, you know, but yeah, they, they could have gone on doing something else that they wanted to do. And, and hopefully both sides will see. And, you know, there I think there's a realization of exactly that. And I think there's motivation to get this done. Because do you know the last time we, we saw a lockout was 26 years ago yeah. in Major League Baseball? There's a reason for that. Because there's definitely a, an understanding and a realization of what uh, a lockout means, and you know both for both sides. So well, you I said, think you we will see resolution you said sooner it, rather you said than it later. Before. You said this. You know, your dad was a very, very big guy in baseball. He liked, like he played baseball. He got yeah, was Yankees. raised on the game. Played, sure, played, I was anyway. He was, yeah. he was you know, going to play for the Yankees, all that jazz. Right. When the lockout happened, he didn't really. Tune in afterwards. Well, yeah, when the players that's that's true. My I never saw my dad as His despondent, son. upset. I mean, it wasn't he wasn't just mad. He was I mean, I thought if I were gonna see the man cry, I thought I was gonna see him cry when they struck the World Series. Yeah. And the World Series didn't happen. I mean, that was like sacrosanct to him. Do you know what I mean? I mean that was sacred. That's what I'm saying. It was sacred. Yeah, if, that's how much he loved the game. If, ba- if baseball's yeah. not careful. Right. They could end up alienating a lot of people. Right. Similar to what the National Hockey League did when they were doing their whole lockout. They alienated a lot of people. They're Now they're just starting to get them back. And we're like eight, ten years away from the last lockout. 
Or you had to go back to 2006 when they had the lockout. You know, that's we're going 15 years, almost 15 years since they They're still and in recovery, still mode. recovery mode. Yep, yep. You know, I mean, like the, the NFL, they went on a lockout for like I think it was six days. They haven't gone on a lockout because the owners and, and the in the player association, they they just they figure it out. NBA went on a lockout for about I think a month, and then they were good to go. But they never really ran away from the bargaining table, and that's the thing that just kind of I don't understand what these um, what the owners want and what the players want. They're so far apart right now. See, I don't think they are that far apart, really. I mean, they acknowledge the same concerns, and I don't think they're that far apart. Now, will I acknowledge that they're both being equally stubborn about movement? Right. Yes. But I don't think they're that far apart when they really start to get reasonable. And I think the one thing they all have to agree, agree on is lockouts cost everybody money. Lockouts, everybody lockouts money. are just bad for the game. They're, they're bad for the game. They cost everybody money. So if we're going to talk economics, and we're going to talk long-term as well as short-term economics, lockouts are not good. And so that's where they have to start picking away, just like in any other negotiation um, they're going to start to start picking away at some of the low-hanging fruit. What are some of the things that we're very close on that we can get some resolution on? And once it's like anything else, but particularly in sports, we see it all the time, you get the momentum moving in the right way, and then it starts to take on a life of its own, and then you have success. That's when you have championships happen, when you have that momentum, because the energy carries you. If they will just find resolution on a couple of the minor, more minor issues, maybe those are non-economic issues, maybe there are some minor economic issues. But once they start to get agreement, and they get that momentum, that ball rolling, that's when you're going to see them really make strides toward the bigger issues that will eventually end this thing and get us all back on the field and in the stands where we all want to be. I can't, I can't say it better than that, but I just, I have a bad feeling that they're going to be so stubborn and that they're going to play stupid, just like they did during the pandemic with the whole, could have been the first sport out, but instead they let hockey get out first. Whichever is smart for hockey, they really they really took the, the charge on that one. Well, well, there you go. I mean, and those that's exactly who's going to benefit from uh, baseball dragging its heels on this. It's going to be other other avenues like hockey, hockey basketball. basketball. Sure. So those will be and and don't think that those industries aren't out there watching this very carefully yeah. because they know what the the consequences will be and they know what the opportunities are going to be created just by think, that. Just think about the timing of if baseball didn't start on time. You're talking about viewership going from watching, you know, regular season play to those teams, those those sports are in the playoffs when baseball starts. So yeah. That, that's like prime time for these, these sports leagues. So, it could be like it basically be a show out for what these sports have to offer over baseball. And that's and that's the sad part that baseball doesn't really understand is the game is getting so it's just not it's not coming with the the times and it's like it's, they just need to get back to like being old time baseball, not you know this. Well, Rob, Rob Manfred, the the, the the commissioner of baseball, is. Probably one of the worst commissioners in all the sports. Well, you know, I think you hit on a point there, Joe, that I think we can talk about, and that makes baseball different, okay? One of the things, and you've alluded to it a couple times in our discussion just right now, there's something about baseball that is different than other sports, and that is the the element of nostalgia. 
yeah. and the Americana of it. And it is America's pastime. No other sport claims that. And there's a nostalgia with baseball that does not exist in other sports. And that's not to say that they don't have their own legacies, but baseball has a very unique nostalgia to it. And when you have the elements of baseball, when you have the players and the owners getting very much entrenched and now it's center stage in front of everyone, the 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 sausage making of it, right? The economics of it, um, it makes it seem like it takes something away from it. It takes away that and people don't like that because that's one of the things that draws people to baseball is that Americana, is that that nostalgic feel. And it really does damage the branding of baseball from that perspective. And that is, um, uh, that's a shame. And that's something that is that they're going to have to fix. Yeah, baseball has a very, very image issue. And if they don't get this lockout straightened right now, it could be a very big Im- image issue. And it could lead to people not going to games and not being inv- as involved. And that really hurts the teams that are, you know, like they're small market teams. They'll hurt small market teams, and that'll be bad for the whole sport. Well, you know what? I don't know, Joe. That's a good question. When you talk, well, yes, the small market teams. But you know who it actually may help? It may help, and this would be good for the game. It may help the minor league systems. It might help some of the other, um, you know, minor leagues. Like right, you know, right down here, even in Michigan, we've got the Lansing Lugnuts. You've got the the guys who play over at Jimmy John's Field. They're over there in Utica. Yeah, but if, um, the, if Major League Baseball is locked out, so are those other baseball teams, except the ones that are not affiliated. Correct. Yeah. The one the non affiliates, and you know, maybe it'll give those guys an opportunity to get a look see. Who knows? Or, or at least have some more fans in the stands that'll give them a, a more enhanced experience and maybe bring it a little more hometown. Um, wherever there's, uh, you know, I would say chaos like this, there's always opportunity. And so all we can, I can really hope for, first off, is that they come to terms, they come to terms quickly. Yep. But if that's not going to happen, then, you know, maybe what we need to do is take this as an opportunity to look at some of our local uh, non-MLB-affiliated baseball experiences and and dive into those and um and start to enjoy that while we're waiting for them to figure this out get more of a feel for baseball sure offer right now absolutely and the next thing that we'll be talking about the red wings and all their my boys and all their troubles and successes right now that'll be in the next segment welcome back to the Cindy and joe show and welcome back to the perfect captain the perfect Defenseman. The perfect human, Nick Lindstrom. That is a huge, huge... I, I can't honestly say that it's a it's a huge... Uh, it's huge for Nick Lindstrom to come back into the Revenues organization as the uh, vice president of hockey operations. The band's getting back together, Joe. That's what I'm excited for. I'll tell you what. Now, you know what they're missing? You know what they're missing? Now, I, I am... Absolutely over the moon, like many of you out there, about Nick Lindstrom coming back into the fold of the Detroit Red Wings. We got Stevie Y, we got Nick Lindstrom. You know, you've got, I think even, uh, I think Pav is somewhere in there as well. You got Chris Draper. Is it starting to sound familiar, folks? Is it starting to sound familiar? Because I'm loving the way it's sounding myself. Now, who else? 
Darren McCarty. Darren has, has been back with the Red Wings in some capacity for a while, but not in their business office. But, you know, Darren's not a business kind of guy. He's a showman, and uh, you can see him now between every period and uh, doing commentary on the wings and on play-by-play. And so, again, is this is this sounding a little familiar to you? It's sounding like a championship team to me. Well, here's what here's what the Nick Lidstrom thing really does. You know, last week we told you that there was a certain prospect in Sweden that that there's scouts that compare him to Nick Lidstrom, and he's gonna he's gonna spend a majority of the time in, in Sweden overlooking the prospects that are in Sweden because we got a lot of them in Sweden. We got a lot of rubbing his prospects in Sweden, so. That's all we got are red and white or red and blue flags or excuse me, white and blue flags. If you look deep blue into the yellow. prospect, whatever yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah yellow and flag. blue. It's blue. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, 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 I block out anything yellow and blue, blue. you know, because I'm a Spartan. I block yeah. out blue and yellow. Go ahead. Sweden. <laughs> we have got some of our best players from Raymond, Cider. You know, obviously we got the American Dylan. We got the Canadian and Bertuzzi. But listen, the Swedish Elite Hockey League is very, very. It's, it's probably is. It's probably second to none with the NHL, with the, how competitive it is and how those players that come over there, they can come in right away and play in the NHL because they were so um, challenged in the Swedish Elite Hockey League. It's it's the it's the hardest league to play in next to the National Hockey League. Well, you know, and a lot of those guys when they go over there too. Um, they're playing on Olympic size ice. The ice uh, size is yeah. different over there, and so there's a little bit of an adjustment to make when you come back to play in the NHL. But um, outside of that, you're absolutely right. It's it's um, and in some ways, the rules over there, I think, better prepare um, prospects, rookies, uh, to come back here. Um, and that's why it's gonna. Have, it's good to have Lidstrom over there because yeah. he knows what it's like coming from the Swede, you know, the, you know, Sweden, and coming to play for the you know an American franchise and playing in on the American ice and the challenges that come along with it and uh, what you what you need to look for in, in a defenseman and, or you know any skater, you know, to win championships. Well, I can't think of anybody who'd be more of a foremost authority on defenseman than Nick Lindstrom. And I got a funny Nick Lindstrom story. Here's another you opportunity. Said, you just said Lindstrom. Lindstrom. It's, it's Lindstrom. I know it's Lindstrom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but this will be a funny story because it's a Nick Lindstrom. I have to make sure I enunciate so Joe doesn't think I'm using an N, Lindstrom. Um, I got a funny story for you. This is another opportunity to point out how much, how green Cindy was and how much progress I have made in my hockey education. So as you know, uh, and many of you know who listen, that uh, I am writing a hockey novel that uh, is going to be fantastic, by the way. You're all going to love it and uh, look forward here in the next, can't tell you when, but in the future. And um, so I'm researching uh, this novel and I didn't know anything about hockey, right? Uh, Not uh, not a thing. And so I brought on a good, you know, the, a very knowledgeable individual who's a former NHL player, four-time Stanley Cup champion, the whole nine yards, and now you know he's become a good friend of mine and friend of the show, Darren McCarty. So I hired uh, or had Darren come on. Darren chose to come on as a collaborator on the project, and I, he was fantastic. And one of the things he said is he said, okay, he said, Cindy, you know, we were talking about a particular character development, uh, development storyline. 
and uh, he says, "You know who we should talk to? We're 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 gonna call we're gonna call Nick." And I said, "That's great." And I'm writing notes and I'm taking notes. I said, "Great, Nick." Okay. And I said, um, "Nick, Nick who?" And uh, he said, "Oh, he's great, Cindy. He's he's fantastic. A tremendous guy. He's a great guy, and he's probably one of the best defensemen ever." I said, "Really?" I said, "What's his name?" Oh, God. Now, I should have known better. And I, he said, Nick Lidstrom. And I'm writing it down, Nick Lidstrom. I said, how do you spell that? Oh, God. <laughs> and he said, and God bless Darren. He was so patient. Baby Cindy at hockey. Baby say, yeah. This is when I had my baby wings. Yep. And, and, and I said, and God bless Darren. And his patience with me to explain to me. And he spelled Nick Lidstrom's name. So that's how I know there's no N. Yep. And um, a lot of people miss, you know, they miss it. They, they do. You're yeah. right. They do. And so, um, but here I was writing it down. And, and Darren, it just, it, it was just a funny story. The fact that I had really no idea who Nick Lidstrom was. And now I have so much respect for that talent. And I am just, and just also as just as a person, just a phenomenal guy. When Darren calls him the perfect human, I, I get it. And I, I can, I concur. I mean, as far as um, just an all around uh, well-rounded, tremendous guy and uh, so pleased to have him back. You're right. If anybody can spot talent, it's Nick. Um, I don't know if he's going to, uh, to what extent he's going to be assisting as vice president of hockey operations, I suppose he probably has the same perspective Darren has. And that is what is the answer to everything when you want to know how to do something or if you should do something and when you're going to say whatever Stevie says. <laughs> I, I thought it was interesting because Stevie was talking on, on 971 ticket to, uh, yesterday. And he was saying, you know, he wanted, he wanted Blitzstrom to come because he's got a great hockey mind and he's composed and, you know, he, there's a lot of similarities between Nick Lipstrom and Steve Eisman. And both of them perfect gentlemen, by the way. Yeah, yeah. They're consummate gen- professionals and absolute gentlemen. And they, and they really do a great job of doing what they do, you know. And I got to thinking. I got mm-hmm. to thinking. Oh, God. Wait. Hold the phone. I know, All right. Joe, I know. Joe's thinking. Joe's Listen, thinking. I got to thinking. <laughs> there is no better person. For Dylan Larkin to learn off of than Nick Lidstrom and Stevie Y. And I'm pretty sure he's got the phone number to, to Henrik Zetterberg, too. I bet so. You, you talk about, a, you talk about like, because, you know, a lot of times when you're, you're placed as a captain, it's very, very hard. Trying to learn the things that you need to be doing, the things that you need to be saying, all that stuff to the team. Going to Stevie Y, going to Nick Lidstrom and asking him, their opinion on what they do. That's a yeah. very, very good uh, thing to have happen on your on your, your team. You know, that's the one thing that the you know Carolina the players in Carolina they say like the reason that they respect Rod Brendamore so much is number one he could probably beat the shit out of every player on that team. <laughs> I mean they call him Rod the Bod for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. But he was a great captain and he was a, a captain who led a team to a Stanley Cup championship in the Carolina Hurricanes. You know, when you're a Stanley Cup champion, there's certain expectations that come along with you being the captain. And when you're the captain like Dylan Larkin, you're in your infancy stage where you're a rebuilding team, you're just getting going, you know, CV was went through that. Dylan's like a baby C. Yeah. Like I like I had my baby wings, my I was a baby wing when I didn't understand anything. 
I'm not saying Dylan doesn't understand anything about being a captain, but he's definitely in a learning phase. He's got his, his baby sea wings. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. I think I think this is good for him. I think that, you know, the one thing that Dylan Larkin has really exhibited this whole year is his ability to be leader that this, this team needs, especially with how young they are. And he's really taking the role over tremendously. You know, and I, the reason, one of the reasons why, uh, probably the most important reason why Dylan Larkin has been able to do that, in my estimation, is, and the most impressive thing to me about Dylan Larkin uh, in a transition even from uh, the last season to this season is I think Dylan has demonstrated the ability to be teachable. Yeah. He's been teachable. You know, one of the things we were talking pre-show uh, about some things in the political realm, which you know is is my area of expertise and i said well, one of the most frustrating things is people, people who, aren't who aren't teachable yeah who refuse to be teachable and they think they know everything they are they come in as rookies they or or even maybe they've been around a few years and they, they don't have as much experience as like a person like you in that realm right or right, like you know dill right. market or even or even more so than me people other people who have even more experience yeah. than i do and they just refuse to be teachable and that's very frustrating See, that, that's a that's a that's a part of life in sports that people really don't get is like you have to be teachable you have to be teachable in the way that you approach things because you don't know it all yeah i'm tw- i'm 27 there's things that i do not know and there's things that i do know and there's things that i kind of learn as i go well i'm cons- but, but, as you point out joe i'm considerably older than you yes and i am still learning and i recognize that i don't know everything either so yeah but it's it, you know it's it's, it's kind of like that scotty bowman quote that if you don't learn something every day, you're failing as a, per- as a player, as a person, you're not getting better. For sure. Like, you got to be, that's thing that he told, you know, when Stevie Y was almost traded because Scotty Bowman wasn't happy with him, that was what he told Stevie Y. If you can't be teachable, I can't help you. Yep. There's, there's nothing I can do. So Dylan's Dylan Larkin's willingness to be teachable, I think, is really what's going to uh, been the catalyst to move him to that next level. Yeah. And I think he's so long as he remains that way and yeah. has that perspective, he will continue to realize his full potential. And I don't think he's there yet. I think there is more potential mm-hmm. for Dylan Larkin, and I think he's going to realize that as captain, so long as he remains teachable. You know, I had a teachable moment today too, and and I think those all of us Red Wing fans out there, you'll all appreciate this. So I was in a meeting today, and I was privileged enough to be in this fabulous room. Um, There are a couple of former um, hockey players that are part of this organization I was with today. And I'm in this glass room, and along the edges of this glass room are all the etchings of the um, all of the great hockey teams. Uh, their logos were all around and etched in this room. And inside of the room, there were all of these framed jerseys, all Red Wings, yeah. uh, which were fabulous. And then there were a couple of other, you know, um, I would say personalized ones or whatever. But one of the jerseys that caught my attention, and I kept looking at it while I'm trying to, to stay focused on the meeting, but I found out something about this jersey. It had all of these signatures on it, like a ton of them. There are like 25 signatures yeah. on this jersey. And, uh, of course, after the meeting ended, I got the chance to take a closer look at it because the host of the meeting said to me, owner of the company, said, um, 
let me show you this. He goes, are you, are you a hockey fan? Cause we weren't talking hockey. We were talking something else. And, and I said, and the, another gentleman who was with us, who knows me well said, Oh, is she ever, <laughs> you know, do you know who you're talking to? And, uh, this is the motor city ice queen you're talking to, you know? Yeah. And, uh, so of course she's, you know, the de facto biggest, you know, uh, female fan of the Red Wings. Right. And she has this podcast and so forth. And uh, we went over and, and he was explaining to me that, there are only three jerseys like that in the entire world that had that collection of signatures. Mm-hmm. And it had it had the, I believe all the signatures were acquired right after the 1997 um, Stanley, Stanley Cup. Cup. Yeah. And they got them all at the same time. And I'm telling you what, you look at that, at that I'm almost sure, and... He said he walked into the place and he was able to buy that jersey. Someone said, he said, how much for that jersey? That And they said $700. He said, I couldn't get the $700 out of my pocket fast enough. Right. He said, and that was at a time I really necessarily didn't have it. He said, but I knew how significant that group of players were. And now that jersey, one of only three in the entire world, is worth about $25,000. That's crazy. Isn't that amazing? So um, there is that collection out there, and I think there were a couple of other signatures on there. One of the most interesting ones on there that caught my attention, he pointed it out to me too, was uh, Vladimir Konstantinov. Probably the, one of the last signatures in a team environment that he had done. And um, that's, you a know, big, that's a big one. It was huge. Yeah, not a whole lot, whole lot of people have it, of course. You know, Darren McCarty's on there, Steve Eiserman, uh, Draper. I mean, all those awesome you know that that whole awesome team and uh so but i had no idea that 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 collection of signatures i would have thought there would have been a bunch but no uh only three in the entire world so and one of them is uh right nearby me and i had the privilege of being in that room with it today so you know, that's another story that for goes, that you only hear on the Cindy and Joe show. That goes to my point though about Larkin. It, about, it about does. Larkin about, that's why I brought it up. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know the thing about the thing about being named the captain yep. of the Detroit Red Wings. There's a certain kind of there's a it's it's a niche. It's a you know you know there's limited positions. There's been 37 captains in the whole Detroit Red Wings history. That's going almost a hundred years. We're like I think we're ninety six away from hundred years. Yeah, and you've had thirty seven captains. Pretty good. That means that there's been some sizable captain gaps. You know what I'm saying? Where you you've had a captain for a long time, and when you're Dylan Larkin, you gotta look at the, all those guys, and you gotta look at them and go, "Damn, I really had a lot to live up to." You know, it's like if you go to the Yankees and you go. You look in the center field and you see all those names on the wall and you're like, it's really a privilege to wear that jersey. Like, it's not taken for granted. And, you know, what's one of the things that I love about the Rebbings organization is, you know, during the preseason, they have a different jersey for their preseason roster, right? Yeah. And the reason they have that is because they don't believe you should wear the real Rebbings jersey until it's actually given to you. Like, you shouldn't just go to the preseason and get that Rebels jersey. You have to earn it in the season. And that's something that a lot of teams really just don't really do. Yeah, and I think that I love that. That's one of the things 
that shows that this organization recognizes the history, the mm-hmm. legacy, and that has to be respected. And, you know, one of the other things that they do, uh, which I found fascinating, is that, uh, and it was an equipment manager who told me, this former equipment manager for the Wings, is that they will turn the jerseys um, with the player. If they, when they first walk in, all the jerseys, beginning of the season, are showing the winged wheel. Yeah. If they lose, that jersey, the next time they come in to the locker room, that jersey is turned the other way because until they have earned another win, they will not turn that winged wheel back around. You're looking at the back of the jersey until you earn it to turn it around to see that's, the front of the jersey. That's, that's, a, that's a smart thing. And then, Psychological, and absolutely. If you look at this current Rebbings team where you know we're talking about this current Rebbings team, they got to some deficiencies right now. Yeah. And there's a lot of people that just don't really understand what really is going on, you know? I see a lot of the chatter about, you know, it's all Blashill's fault or it's all defenseman's fault. They want to blame certain players. But, you know, the reality of the situation is I think people just need to realize that you're not far off from being a contender, but you're not there yet. And when you give Verona back, that could be a very, very big, big, addition to the team mid-year because you'll finally have a second line that can actually, you know, score and get some points and all that. And that's that's a scoring opportunity. And then you're putting someone on third line who could score too. And you're kind of making the team even. Right now, we have, we, we have not seen this Rebels team fully healthy for a majority of the season. Yeah, and I think that's reflected in the in the standings. You know, I they were holding on with by the skin of their teeth for that last wild card spot. Now they're out by, you know, they're five points behind Boston. Um, They've got an opportunity coming up here, though, to, you know, they're playing Winnipeg uh, tonight. They're going to be, they've got, you know, three games in the next five days here. They can turn this around, um, and they can pick up some points very, with the roster, or excuse me, with the uh, schedule that they have here in the next five days. They're at home. Um, Let's hope they can pick up some points. That Five points is not a lot. Uh, I don't know what Boston's schedule looks like. I haven't looked at it. But um, I believe that, again, it's a momentum shift. It's an energy shift. Coming back home, just the action of coming back, being on home ice, hopefully that will help to jumpstart uh, a change because they had a brutal, brutal uh, trip out to the West Coast. I can't say I'm terribly surprised given all the elements there, but... um, we were talking about, you know, what's the one thing that the Wings are missing? There's so much going right for them. Uh, I love what Steve is doing. I love the culture that is that is being restored and reinvigorated there. The one thing that they're missing, and I think you were talking about it, Joe, what's their one thing you see missing? And you kind of alluded to it here in just some of the comments you just made. But what are we missing? You're missing that. You're missing depth. Yeah. You're, miss, you're missing depth. You, you, yeah. You're missing. You're missing a, a, a team that, you know, when Larkin's out, you notice it. When Bertuzzi's out, you notice it. You know, when the you when there's the, Tampa Bay has not been without Kucherov for a majority of year, and they have a skip a beat. That's the difference between. That's where Stevie Y is trying to get this team. He hasn't got there yet because they're still in the midst of a rebuild, but. 
they're getting out of it. You can see that they're slowly getting out of it. They're starting to stack some talent on talent on talent. And there's been some disappointing players so far, like Zadina. You know, Zadina not making that that back check on a on a player from Anaheim and, and that goes in his own net. You know, that's something that a young player needs to learn that you, you that's what Dylan Larkin had to learn is you have to play two ways or you won't win. And I don't think that's gonna fly with Stevie Y. The the you you're not gonna be a one way forward. And I think that's the one thing that Verona when he came here, that's one thing he embraces. They don't want you to just be a one way player. They want you to be a two way player. And that is the most important thing in hockey because if you look at all the teams in hockey that are consistently winning, you look at the Red Wings when they were in their heyday and they were winning championships and contending in the playoffs. Every player from in the first and second line was totally two-way players. They played defense. They played offense. They got points. They scored. They played defense. Datsuk was a Lady Bing winner, a, a Selkie Trophy winner. That's a defensive player award for forward. I mean, that's just... That's what you have to do. And if you don't do that, then you, you really don't have a shot at how to win championships in hockey. Well, I think Steve obviously knows very well how important it is to have multidimensional players. Uh, you know, it's a multidimensional game. That's why having multidimensional players is so important. Um, you have to be flexible. You have to be versatile. Versatility is really one of their the greatest strengths that a player in any sport can have um, because, you know, the... the these head coaches and uh, and circumstances will mandate that you have to be plug and play. You have to plug and play. You have to be have people that you that can deliver on a number of levels. So um, I think I think the Red Wings are still developing that as well. Um, with regards to Zadina, you know, and I said this at the end of last season, beginning of this season, I think he he has maxed out his capacity here. Um, I was hoping to give him another chance. You even said give him another chance. We see flashes of greatness. Yeah, that's true. But um, I'm just not so sure that he's delivering where they need him to deliver. I mean, what are they going to do? Send him back to Grand Rapids and, and you know have him you know be a star in Grand Rapids? We have to try to keep bringing him up to the big club, and, and then he just he just folds in on himself. I think he puts a lot of pressure on himself. Um, I think he's just that kind of a guy, and as a result, his performance is suffering. And he's you know one of these guys has a hard time getting out of his own headspace. So. Um, I think it may actually be better for both the organization and for Philip Zadina as a player to perhaps move on uh, from this, at least temporarily. I mean, maybe, you know, go somewhere, you know, it's like send him out to college and bring him back home. You know, maybe send him out there to get in a different environment where he can um, change the psychology a little bit. I don't know, but I just think it'll be probably best for both if at some point they move on. And I think Steve might be looking at that as well. Um, you, you just can't keep doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results and be considered sane. I mean, that's just not, that doesn't get it done. So um, I think there's a, a couple of bright spots, though, what we've seen with the struggles of the Red Wings. The bright spots, uh, I think Nadelkovich has proven that he's he's a starting goalie. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think that he's actually giving us a chance yep. to – Gets you know get some more points up there on the board. So I mean, without that, without Ned, he's, he's taking so many shots too. Like, oh it's, my it's gosh! Incredible. You know when incredible you're player. when you're twenty one, you're twenty first in the league in shots against. I mean, you're really putting your goalie out to dry. I mean, the best teams, you know, they average around twenty, uh, twenty seven to twenty nine. Those are that's that's usually the good portion of how you play the game. When you're allowing thirty three a game. 
averaging 33 a game. That's that's a lot of shots, and you know, compared to the average team that, that's competing for, I mean, that's a four shot difference, and the four shot difference can be four goals. So that's that's the thing that I look at as in regards to the rubbings is they give up too many shots, and the reason they do that is because you really need a second line. That's that's the reality yeah. of the situation because the first line does a really good job. You see the drop-off. If you look at the stats, you look at it, how the time of possession, the puck management on the first line compared to the rest of the lines is night and day. It looks really, really bad. So that's getting a good second line is what's going to help the revenues going forward. I agree. And there's, you know, if you, you know, you look at um... – you know, speaking of differentials, my God, you know, here's the thing. The wings are giving up too many shots and they're not making enough. And that's, that's just, and it's so obvious. And they've got, they're at a minus 24 right now. And, um, you know, that's a, it's a, a huge, you may, may say, well, I have the Grand Canyon between them and then in the next team up the ladder. And I don't know exactly who it is right at the moment. I can't remember offhand, but it's the divide is wide. Let's put it that way. Uh, you've got your top four teams in the division. You got your bottom four teams, and albeit the Red Wings being at the top of the bottom four, um, there's a huge chasm between um, the the fourth and fifth place team in the division. So that has to be remedied because that says that this team isn't there yet. Yeah. Yet. Yeah. Yeah. That's the key. The key word is yet, and I believe. This team has the capacity and the ability to be a St. Louis Blues story. Yeah. They could turn this around after the Olympic break or after the All-Star break, and you could see them just get ignited because they've got the pieces to do yeah, it. They you, just have to make a couple you, of once changes. Once you get hot, you get hot. Yeah. And they haven't got hot yet, and they really need that second line to really propel things because then it really goes through the, the third and the fourth line. That's that's what you need in a good hockey team, and I think that the Revens right now they're just struggling because they really don't have that guy that you know they can lean on on the second line that you can go okay when Larkin and Bertuzzi and Raymond are off the ice who's going to step up? Well, Verona is going to be the game changer there. Yeah, Verona is going to be the game changer. Now that's what I think we have to look for. Yeah, that's what I think we have to look for. So when you say the missing piece, it could be as simple as. Jacob Verona. Yeah. That's been the missing piece. And once you put that piece in play, it, could it change changes whole, everything. It, it could change it the whole dynamic. And yeah. We haven't seen this team fully healthy yet. That's the one thing that, that really disappoints me is because I think when this team is fully healthy, I think they can contend. I think they can contend, but they haven't been fully healthy. And this is not a deep team. This is not a, a Tampa Bay. This is not a Toronto. This is not a, a – name a team that's deep. You know the Boston Bruins. Yeah, yeah. They're not. They're deep. not deep. They're not, yet. they're not deep there yet, yeah. and that's right. that's where Stevie's going, and that's why you got to trust the Iceberg Plan. And I do, and Stevie, we trust. In the next segment, we'll be talking about the Lions and the national media love affair that they have. So join us in that segment. See us then. This is between the whistles, Detroit. Welcome to Cindy and Joe Show. I'm Joe. I'm Cindy, and, and I'm curious about this musical choice. It's. Well, all right. Isn't it great? I like it. So now we are talking about the Lions, and there, there's a certain chatter with the Lions that a lot of Lions fans don't really understand. There's a lot of things about the Lions that Lions fans don't understand. 
One of the things they don't understand is this blast of of where the hell was this at in the last three games? Where the hell was this at in the beginning of the season? And why didn't we see it? It could have shifted the entire momentum. Well, it was good because, you know, now they're going to have a good draft pick and they're going to, they could re- really reboot the system. And the last six games since the bye week, they played very, very good football. You know, they, they, they were in games mostly except the Denver game where they really had a very, very tough time because of the COVID and, all that stuff. But, you know, the reality of the situation is the national chatter about Ronald Alliance is that they have something brewing that is special. The national media is saying, I was wondering, do you buy it, number one? I know I'm incredibly skeptical, Joe, and it takes a lot to sell me on something because I'm a very logical person. I need a lot of legitimate data, and I'm not going to make a judgment on anything Unless I'm pretty well sure of it, because when I say it, you can take it to the bank. Tell me, am I going to be able to take this one to the bank, Joe? Well, you struggle with a lot of things that most Lions fans struggle with. And that struggle is the fact that you cannot see elements of a competent franchise. Because, listen... Lions, you just you just said it, and Lions fans are the same way. They are the same way. You know, we suffer from the same affliction, which is Lions fans. They're so so fickle. Like they're so everything is bad, and it's never going to be good, and it's just it's a bad situation. There, it's a depressed bunch. Take yourself outside of it, okay? Look at the National Football League and then look at the Lions. And you go, why are you saying that, Joe? Because the Lions are not a National Football League team. They're, they're owned by the Fords, all that. That's all the junk that I see on my Madden Lions news page. Let me tell you, it's the same take every freaking week from the, the same, same people. fucking people. <laughs> and it's like, it's like you got to stop. Like, you just got to stop. You know, for, one, for once in... Since I've been alive, okay? I'm 27. Yes. Yes. So... A full 20 years younger than me. (laughs) (laughs) Listen. And I still tolerate you, which is stunning, but a testament to your character, good sir. Well, I appreciate that. You are very welcome. You know, you you look at these older people and they're like, Oh, the lions suck. The forest is going to sell and all that stuff. There's an interesting dynamic that people just don't really realize because they just, some just fail to realize it and they like to place blame wherever they can place blame. Mm-hmm. But the ownership did change to another person inside the family, but that's happened before with a certain team that won championships. And it was a team in Chicago named the Blackhawks. Now, if you don't follow hockey, you wouldn't know, but the the Wurtzes were one of the worst franchises. They ran one of the worst franchises to where the cable TV networks didn't pick up their games. They were so <laughs> bad. Now, that's bad when cable TV won't pick you up. Right. It's one thing to not be picked up by network, but when you can't get picked up by cable, you got a problem. <laughs> Unlike that, they, the son took it over. Yeah. And he let the people do their jobs. He hired the right people, got the people in charge. Stan Bowman, 
Now, they made some mistakes down the line that came back to now, but they won Stanley Cup championships, and they were consistently winning for about six to seven years because the guy who took over was like, I cannot take over this franchise and do the same mistakes that my mom, my dad did, or my mom did, you know, in regards to Sheila Hamp, when right. she's taking over her mom and her dad. When you take over a losing franchise like that, I mean, it's got to be, for a lot of people who have competitive nature, not the easiest. So I don't think Sheila Ford's going to be like, oh, I'm, I'm fairly confident in losing. That's okay. It's fine. No. And I don't think that's the case here with the Lions. And I think people that are, like, Lions fans that are older and they just don't understand, like, you've never seen a good football team. Like if you're not yeah. if you're not if you're not eighty years old, you've never seen a good football team. You might think you've seen a good football team. You've seen good football players right. on the team, but you haven't seen a good football team. I'll agree with that. 100%. There's a lot of people that don't follow the NFL like I do. I'm, a, I'm you know, I there follow. are very few people on the earth that follow football the way you do, Joe. It's almost like an obsession, kind of like how I follow politics. I wish that you know what they have to have. They need to have trading cards for politics. Like, you know, like you can have, you know, like a trading card, you know, the rookie year, you know, the first year someone gets elected. Wouldn't that be fun for people like me who are political junkies? I heard that got held up in the Supreme Court, too. Moving on. <laughs> no, but you you do have this bizarrely encyclopedic knowledge of football, so. Yeah, and, and you know, the reality of the situation is, like, people, like, look, they, they see football teams and they think, you know, for instance, like Lions fans thought the 2015 Lions team was a good team. They were not. I mean, they had chances to win, but they were not a team that can compete for a championship. Championship teams are different from good teams. Good teams are just, they can win in the playoffs, but they're going to get blown out when they face a really, really good team, the elite yeah. teams, okay? Right. You know, we've seen the Pistons make runs. We've seen the Lions. We've seen the, we haven't seen the Lions make runs. I'm not kidding. <laughs> you, <laughs> we've seen the Red Wings make runs. The Tigers make runs. You were infusing fantasy with reality, right, there, Joe. There we go. But, you know, we haven't seen the Lions make a run. And so people right. always say, oh, they'll never win. They never win. And then, and then, and then. You got to look at what they're building in Detroit. And I, people... The national media has hit on it. They're saying, you know, Brad Holmes, Dan Campbell, they're building something right in Detroit. In Detroit. And you look at the team and you go, okay, let's look at it. The offensive line is going to be stacked because they're going to have Ragnall back and they're going to, you know, get him back, right? They're going to, they have a running game. There was a top 10 rushing attack, okay? You get some wide receivers, how Jared Goff. You could potentially have a top 15 offense. You take the first two overall pick. You take the first overall, your pick that you got, your first pick, it's going to be second overall. And you take that and you get, you're going to get your pick of the litter with the defensive attack, defensive end, either Dibdo from Oregon or Aiden Hutchinson from Michigan. And you're going to take that and you're going to take one of those guys. You're going to do your homework like Brett Holmes does. And you're going to pick the best player, not the, the player that most people want, the best player because we've seen it with Detroit, the Red, Red, the Red Wings. Yep. You know, Stevie Y has taken a guy that wasn't really picked in that area, and they were like, oh, my God, what is Stevie Y doing? And look now. Well, and as we've said, Stevie Y himself wasn't an, an overall number one pick. So, you know, 
what does that tell you? You can still find Hall of Fame talent deeper into the draft. Um, my gosh, look at Tom Brady. Yeah, he wasn't either. So but I look mean, at, look at look at Amari St. Brown. Prime example. The guy's on fire. He was yep. a fourth round pick. Brad Holmes picked him up, and, and, and he knew he had talent, so he picked him up. Three weeks in a row, he's rookie of the week. You, I always we've I've, I've always said on the show, okay. You know you have a good general manager when they make picks in the first round that are good. Because you should make good first round picks. Mm -hmm. But you determine if you have a great general manager with their mid-round picks. That's where you know if you really have a good general manager. Like, for instance. Well, that's where the sophistication comes in. That's where you really, that's where you really kind of know what mm -hmm. you're looking for right. in a team. You know, like Amron St. Brown. I'm sure Brett Holmes knew what he was looking for in Amron St. Brown. He kind of found it and he said, I'm going to pick up that guy because I think he could do really, really well with us. Well, heck, look at look at the rookie stable that they put together, period. Panay Sewell. Yeah. He had some, he was received dominant. some distinctive dominant. honors, too. Yeah, he was the dominant. Absolutely. And you look at, you look at, you know, guys like Lee McNeil or Anzarike, they got some growing up, growing up to do, but they were in their first year, you know. But you look at a guy like Adam Ross on St. Brown, who was a fourth-round pick, and you look at how he progressed over the season. I mean, you're looking at a guy who could potentially be a star player for the, the Lions, and he was drafted in the fourth round. Right. That's how you know you got a good general manager. And the, these national pundits that are saying, you know, Detroit's building something special, they really are. They're saying that because when you have an offensive line, you know, football is won in the trenches. It's like in hockey, you win with two-way players. In basketball, you win with players who are athletic and and have star potential. And the guys who can't just shoot the three-pointers, but the guys who can consistently make a certain number of points every game. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. those are your guys. And right. in baseball, you always, you're looking for, you, you, baseball, you build a team sophisticately different than you build, build in any other team. It's it's a hodgepodge of what you do, what do you do, compared to what do you do, what do you do, and what do you do. You know, with the Lions, you can see that they're starting to build something really, really special. And a lot of Lions fans don't want to admit that because they've been hurt before. It's like, you know, this is kind of a dark example, but it's kind of like a domestic abuse victim. They really don't want to admit that there's brighter futures and there's better men out there than they dated or better women than they dated. Because they can't see it because they're so, uh, unfortunately, under an oppressive uh, regime and an oppressive um, environment where they've been, uh, you know, unfortunately, sometimes just fed a, a certain line that they believe, and they've come to believe things that aren't. You know, uh, it's un yeah, exactly. You know, the, they've been abused. victimized. They've been victimized. They've been victimized. And, and every right. every time they want to believe, they get burnt. And th this is a little bit different because if you look at the good teams of football, one of the things that it remains the same with all these teams in the playoffs this year. Look at the offensive line, look at their defensive line, and you can see that they have that distinct advantage. And they have star players, obviously, on the outside because you need you need players that are going to be playmakers. But you can see Detroit starting to get that, and they have a lot of draft capital in the next couple years. Yeah, They're going to be very, very good. And listen, Brad Holmes made a great decision to not sign in Kenny Galladay because Kenny Galladay went to the New York Giants, got paid zero touchdowns this year. The left tackle, Taylor Decker, who came back off injury eight games into the season, he has one touchdown. That's more than a wide receiver has a touchdown. 
Well, you know, I was going to, you know, the thing is too, the thing that makes this Lions team different, and I think it's the first, and you are, again, you are the football encyclopedia, Joe, and therefore I will ask that you please correct me if I'm wrong. This is really the first time in modern Lions franchise history where you have wholesale change top to bottom from the managing owner in Sheila Fordham, mm-hmm. who is much, uh, she is completely different. Yep. She might be a Ford, but she's very different in her approach. Her mindset. And her mindset of ownership and at, how to manage. Look look, look at what she brought. You have a new general manager. Yeah. You have a new head coach. Yeah. All with, an, and you have a new, a new culture that's being bred there. Yeah. That's the first time that I know of that all of those elements have been different than the season before. Here's a prime example. Look at who they brought in. They brought in Chris Spielman to help him in an advisory role, but you know he's doing more than that. He's helping with a lot of stuff. But that is like the CVY of the Lions because he was a leader on that Lions team that won that won a playoff game. Yeah. He is a good hockey man. He's pragmatic in his approach. He knows what he's looking for. Great football mind. When you have people like that in your, your organization, you have every shot to get better because they don't think like fans do. They think, you know, we aren't good right now, but we are going to get better. It's a progress. It's not It's not going to happen quickly. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. Yeah. And they understand that. And sometimes a fan base, especially one as frustrated as the Lions mm-hmm. fan base has been, who's been given so many false starts, so, many, so much false hope, you know, we're, you know, they're they don't want to believe as you pointed out because if they they don't want to get burnt again and so you get it you know they don't want to expend all of that emotional capital yeah. if it's not going to pay dividends and i get that and i think they get it too but this i think they're i think the national media as you pointed out um and i think some of the local media too they see some intrinsic differences because they're looking for some key indicators you know i've been around politics for so long and I've looked at elections for so long that I don't care if you're looking at a community where you've got 40 voting precincts that are going to come in. I can tell you, if you just show me a two or three key precincts, I can tell you who's going to win that race. Before 90, I can tell you who's going to win the race with 10% of the vote counted in any environment if I see the right indicators, the right numbers. I can tell you how the rest of the 90% is going to go based on a 10% of key indicators. Same thing here. You have people who are looking deep into the organization, deep with a, a brilliant football minds who've seen it for a long time. They know what they're looking for. And they've seen those key indicators change. And they're able to see into the future what this Lions team could very well be, and they can see that it is different than what we have seen in many, many years past. No, yeah, I, I agree with that. I think that, uh, you know, the one thing that people don't understand about the Lions, I think a lot of teams, a lot of fans don't understand is, you know, it doesn't have to be like it has been, you know. I think the, they always think, you know, that the worst is going to come and all that stuff, but... Cubs won a World Series. The St. Louis Blues won a Stanley Cup. Boston Red Sox won a World Series. Mm -hmm. You can turn the franchise around, but what it takes is it takes certain 
people. You know, what carried the Red Wings out of the Dead Wings area was Jim Davalano, uh, guys that knew what they were doing and they were very, very smart in getting the guys that they needed to do to get to a winning culture. And you can see that the Detroit Lions are building the culture. And that's the most important part. You know, I, I hate when people say, I hate when people say that the culture is is a bullcrap excuse. It's very, very important. Very, very important. Yeah. You look at all the teams across it, like they win in, in they're consistently winning. You look at the Pittsburgh Steelers. You look at the New England Patriots. You look at the um, the Red Wings. You look at the Spurs, the Celtics, the Lakers, the Yankees, the Red Sox. All those teams, they have cultures that are that were built. You know, and like you can still see the Yankees' culture is built off that Derek Jeter type mindset. You see that the Red. Hell, you can you can argue that the the Yankees have been built off the golden age of the 1950s. Yeah. Uh, even still, you know, because it was so powerful, the Red Sox have been built off Babe Ruth, right? I mean, you know, the house that Ruth built. So yeah, for sure, you can see, and I, and I think your point is, and I didn't mean to interrupt you. Oh, football guru. However, I think the point, if I'm learning, is that um, it's process. And that you can see that it's something that has to be built, and it doesn't get built overnight. Yeah, and I just, I just, I think that people really just don't understand how you build a team. And it doesn't, it doesn't just come, it's not like a video game where you could just stack talent on talent. You Darn, got, that would be so much easier, wouldn't got, it? If we could just all play this way we play you know, you know, Madden twenty twenty two. It's like in it's like in real life, you know? It's it, right. real life. You don't get to where you want to go quickly as you want. Yeah. It really doesn't happen like that. It's a it's a incremental incremental steps that you take. And that's how you figure out if you're gonna you know, there's obviously gonna be bumps along the road, like do you know you see with the the Red Wings right now and Pistons right now. Growing pains. Growing pains. And yeah. That, that's going to happen because until you get to that spot to where you have the guys in place where you guys kind of, they mesh together, then you'll start to see payoff for Lions. But I think Lions fans are so scared that they just don't want to admit it, but there's good times coming ahead. Can't wait. And I think it's going to see, we're going to see a much better season next season. If you were to call over under, Joe... For the Lions next season, what's your over-under? I go over-under 7.5. I think that the, this team was in a lot of games that they, sh- they could have won. Yep, and, a lot of close ones. And they played hard, and the roster is going to improve. And you got to look at the, the, the division. Two of these teams have fired their head coach, which means that they weren't living up to expectations, or they're just so ground level that they can't, like they're gonna to have to rebuild, and that's what happens. I mean, you look at the Bears. I mean, they have a young quarterback, but that team is old. It's getting older, and you just can't win like that when you're, especially when you're trying to rebuild the team. Got to go with young talent, and it's the same thing with the Vikings. They have a lot of older talent. That's they had their window, and they didn't. They didn't win. They didn't win nothing, and that's that's the NFL right there. So do you do you still stand by that over under number if and. There was a recent article, and I want to get this from you because you've mentioned these two players several times during the season. There is a discussion about the Lions cutting Michael Brockers and Trey Flowers. Do you think, A, that they'll cut them, 
And B, if they do, do you still stand by your over-under? you think they're going to be able to replace those two? Because I know you had hopes from what you liked Michael Brockers and Trey Flowers both. Well, yeah, I think that cutting Trey Flowers and Michael Brockers will help. I really think that you know, both of them have lived up to expectations. And if you're Brad Holmes, you know, you traded for Michael Brockers. To make to say that you made a mistake and you make and you you say it publicly, loudly by cutting a player, that yeah. speaks volumes into how do you carry yourself and that you're willing to admit your mistakes because let's be honest, you know from as well as I know, there's a lot of people in prominent positions that do not want to admit that they made a mistake and that's what costs them in the end. No. Yeah. <laughs> There sure are. Well, you you know, no one wants to admit when they're wrong. Nobody wants to admit they've made a mistake because they see it, they think that it's a perceived sign of weakness. But I think you're right. When you can admit you've made a mistake, you admit that you're wrong, and you take an active plan to remedy that situation for the betterment of your organization or your community, that is a point of strength. That is true leadership. I agree. I totally agree there. Yep. This has been a great show. We will see you. As always with you. We will see you in the next episode next week. We'll see you uh, then. Yeah. Come back and see us on, visit us on social media. You can listen to us where, Joe? Spotify, Apple, Google, Facebook. Facebook, YouTube. Come and join us. You're never going to get the same type of analysis you get here on the Cindy and Joe show between the whistles Detroit. We are. Your hometown team. Absolutely. We will see you next week.